electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on our podcast, the Fed speaks, and so does inflation, in the aftermath of extraordinary measures. There really is nothing on TV, because these are the things I'm thinking about. The Delta variant is on the rise. Dr. Scott Gottlieb on who's getting it and who's spreading it and what we can do to curb it. I suspect that there's a lot of young people right now getting infected, and what you're seeing is the tip of the iceberg getting hospitalized and getting very sick. And space tourism in full swing, for billionaires anyway. It's almost time for Bezos to hit the space dusty road. Franklin Institute's chief astronomer, Derek Pitts, on the two trips of a lifetime. The Branson flight was essentially like a space plane. Uh, took off from a runway, lands on a runway again. The Bezos flight with the New Shepard is really a rocket that has a capsule atop. It's Friday, July 16th, 2021. I'm feeling TGIF. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is out today. The Dow and the S&P are fractionally within a fraction of, of being back to their all-time highs. So even when we talk about the downs and the Nasdaq down by over 100 points yesterday, you have to put that in, in context. We are still at incredibly high levels. I think Jeff Gundlach yesterday called it nosebleed levels for the markets. But he said he thinks the market can continue at these levels. If the Fed continues, the federal stimulus package continues, if you continue to see this kind of spending, you're going to continue to see the markets at these levels. The issue is if the stimulus continues at the level it's at, the inflation is not going to go away. In fact, the inflation could get worse. And if they take the stimulus away, well, then the inflation probably won't get worse, but the economy is extremely uncertain at that point in time. Also, the stimulus was kind of comical about it is the stimulus is obviously causing uh, consumer behavior to be elevated. And you know who benefits from the consumer behavior? What's the strongest economy in the world for the 12 months ending the end of the first quarter? Well, it's China. Uh, it's tiresome for me to always go back and search Gunlack market and point out how many times he said the market can't go any higher, so I'm not going to do that. I'm no, this time he's he actually said good. Maybe you take that. Bill Gross used to predict uh, the stock market, and no one was worse than him, so... So you don't think he's right when he said that the market could continue at these levels? Or no, that's not what I really gleaned from what he said. He, he said that these are the, the, the most overvalued levels in the history of, uh, you know, I, what I read was not that it could continue to go hard. That's just sort of a safety valve for him to be wrong. To be, well, yeah, but, but he did say if the federal stimulus like this continues, hey, it's all on. You know, I came, the conclusion I came to, and we're going to talk about inflation and Janet Yellen and things like that, but the conclusion I came to is we still argue about why, how the tenure could go to one, three, or whatever it is. Right. And I still think that people are right in saying that if the Fed's going to buy this much, you know, if they're not going to taper and they're going to buy that many bonds, they're buying everything that's out there. So maybe there really isn't price discovery for the bond market. Maybe it's right. all Fed-induced. 
Why couldn't it be the same for the stock market, that there's really no price discovery in the stock market and that it's, resp- it's just like the bubble in the bond market? No, I think you're right. It's, then people would say, the, yeah, but earnings are so good. And then I'd say to that, yeah, earnings are good, but earnings are only, the, the price of the stock is only a reflection of the multiple you put on those earnings. So right. earnings are rebounding and they're really good, but the multiples are still going up. So that could be all fit. So that maybe could you be agree all with fit. Doug Black. Do we just come back to the, okay, these are nosebleed levels yeah. and we don't know if there's price discovery? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, and if the Fed's doing that and you have federal stimulus spending that's also coming in, I mean, those are like well, two the, pretty it, incredible streams. That's the, that, that, that was another. You know what? Uh, there really is nothing on TV because these are the things I'm thinking about when uh, w- w- on my own. But what I came to uh, on that was, is it the fiscal or the monetary stimulus? Like I keep asking people, if we spend another, you know, four trillion dollars, Right. Why is that not going to be inflationary? And then I thought, well, wait a minute. It's not that. It's that the Fed is, has these extraordinary measures and is pumping so much into the system. And then I realized well, it's, those are both manifestations of the same thing because we can't spend $4 trillion if the Fed doesn't enable them to spend $4 trillion by buying Correct. all the bonds. Every time we try to finance that debt, the Fed is there as a backup to buy all those bonds. So it's the same thing. Fiscal and monetary stimulus is the but, same but thing. But it's, it's kind of like two rivers colliding. I mean, you're but, looking at Pittsburgh at this point where I guess it's three rivers there, but the river's coming in and kind of forming this right. giant. That's a sore subject for me because Pittsburgh sends all their trash down to Cincinnati. They, they've been doing that for, as I was always growing up, that's what they did. The Pit, the, you know, and I love the Pirates. I love Pittsburgh because it's, it's like a Beautiful sister city. city. Yeah. It's like a sister city since today. But we are downriver from there. So and you it, have second city kind you of? Should, we used to call, go to Cincinnati, we call it the Chocolate River because that's what it looks like. Um, and Willy, it's Pittsburgh's Willy fault. Willy Wonka. Yeah. Well, it's not all Pittsburgh's fault, but they do you know, dump all their stuff, send it down. Just like Manhattan sends all the trash over to, and sewage over to New Jersey, too. Yes, which we don't appreciate. No, we don't. Andrew loves that. Every time he flushes the toilet, he's like, ha ha, here you go. Yeah, you saw there were needles on the Jersey shores again because of all the rain from last week. Well, that fits right in with Times Square. And here's the the inflation story. The inflation debate rolls on. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen weighed in yesterday uh, on closing bell. I think we we will have several more months of rapid inflation, so I'm not saying that this is a one-month phenomenon, but I think over the medium term, we'll see inflation decline back toward normal levels. But, of course, we have to keep a careful eye on it. Secretary Yellen said uh, she worries about the problems inflation could pose for lower-income families looking to buy homes at a time uh, when real estate prices uh, are surging. If you throw in asset inflation with the potential for for price and wage inflation, we could be in that period. But I I think it really depends on what what we do from here with Congress. And I'm not at all convinced that the 800 or 600 billion ever gets done with with Republicans. Do you see that the progressives are now threatening to to because they want more because they want more. And the others, I think, Manchin Cinema have not. Jen Psaki said, if we had the votes, we'd be doing it already. So they don't, I'm not sure they... And it's not just Mansion and Cinema. There are a right. couple other senators. They give Tester, cover to a lot of others. Tester and a couple others who right. have also raised some concerns about it. Um, with Janet Yellen, but just back to that conversation about what the Fed does, and the Fed has to provide cover for the spending that would come from the administration. Not just cover, the money for it. The money for it, to yeah. print it out. Um, the big decision is what happens. Is, is Powell going to be nominated for another term? That question is coming up. Yellen said yesterday uh, on Closing Bell that she 
hasn't really decided, but I think a lot of people are assuming it's going to be Powell again. If, if you think of, of Powell not being there, I think there would be a lot more questions from the market. You think about Biden would, would ask Secretary Yellen the is it opinion? Yeah. Oh yeah. You do. Oh yeah. You don't. No. I think I think Stephen Mnuchin had a big role in, and who in was chosen whether, with uh, Powell being chosen. I don't know what... As a former Fed know. chair? It, right. You don't think he'd seek her advice? Well, now we're opening up the whole can of worms of, you know, who gets in the president's ear on a lot of different things, and I don't know. I, I know some of I the progressives do. I would be shocked do. if he didn't don't ask. Don't Schumer does? I think Schumer and Pelosi get into his... Oh, I think he listens to a lot of people, but I'd be shocked yeah. if you didn't ask Janet Yellen, your treasury secretary, who, who happens who, to be a former for, Fed who was a chair former herself. Fed, uh, official. Yeah. There are more... She's, uh, you know, he's pretty, Powell's pretty dovish, but there are people that could be even more dovish. Right, and there are people who wonder if he's being more dovish because right. of this coming nomination. But look, I, I think he speaks his mind most times. I think he's very open about where he sees things. I just think it's a little inscrutable for right. the rest of us to figure out what, what's transitory and what they're actually going to do. If we stopped everything right now, we spent a lot already. I mean, I know I, I understand that, but I still think if we stopped right now, I could see it was just bottlenecks, and I could I could buy the into that transitory nature. Thing. Yeah. But if we do what what you know a certain wing of the Democratic Party wants, if we do that, I think it's it's we're off to the races. I really do. Okay. I mean, it, cause something caused it back in the '70s. It was oil and everything else, but that's frightening. When it, and we see what causes it in other in other countries and right. historically what causes it. This is what causes it except everyone else is doing it around the world right now. So, you know, we're wonder it's bigger than neighbor. Right. This other big story that we've been watching and that the markets have too and that's that the mask mandate is back in Los Angeles. County officials will require masks to be worn indoors even by vaccinated people amid a sharp increase in COVID cases and the Delta variant in particular. L.A. County has recorded more than 1,000 new cases each day for a week, and the health department says that there is now substantial community transmission. Hospitalizations in California are at the highest level since April. Separately, the University of California system said yesterday that all students, faculty, and staff must be vaccinated to return to campuses. Joe, you pointed to this. Is I wanted this... to talk to him, but I read a CNN piece yesterday, and you know, I don't know how, uh, I don't know if it was hyperbolic about it, but it scared it scared me a lot about that, how many young people in Miami, all unvaccinated, to people that are at, getting it now, but 99% haven't been vaccinated. But that's a lot of people yeah. that still are, and a lot of young people. And according to this, they, they're getting pretty serious um, COVID cases, even in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. And they, according to the article, and I, we'll ask Gottlieb about it, it the disease seemed to progress more quickly than it had in the past to a more serious uh, form of COVID, and some were dying. Some 20, 30, and 40-year-olds were dying. Now, this is all, as I say, I'm, I'm uh, citing the CNN. That's why I want to ask Gottlieb about it, about whether that's really happening, because that's really concerning. Very concerning, yes. Because so and, many are, are not. And, and to think we're going back to a place we thought we'd escaped. I mean, is this right. going back to lockdowns? Is this going back to mask mandates? I don't know that there's an appetite for lockdowns again, but to, to be in a position where these cases come back and the hospitalizations come back. And we're pretty much, I've been out and about, and they, they're at the sporting events, uh, that, that one that I just happened to see, the UFC, that, that fight with Conor McGregor, it was packed. It was packed and nobody had, had masks on. And I think it's like that at, at some other sporting events. So we're pretending like we're beyond this. 
Right. With a with a what what do you got? Forty percent of the population not vaccinated. What's who's not vaccinated? Most sixty five year olds. Anybody under twelve is not vaccinated. Right. But but in but overall, it's about forty percent still. Well, the older you are, the more likely you are right. to have been vaccinated. But People in the total who are in higher risk factors take it more seriously. But I think you're pointing to the right question with the twenty and thirty year olds who don't think that they are at risk and not worried about. Right. It as the much. worry was that they could give it to some uh, person more. Vulnerable with pre-existing conditions or older, but now, according to this, they need to worry about themselves. Right. It's not just a you know a bad cold. Another setback for Biogen's new Alzheimer's drug. Just a week after the FDA narrowed the prescribing instructions for the drug, three large hospitals say that they will not administer it. The Cleveland Clinic, Mount Sinai Health System in New York, and Providence in Renton, Washington, say that they will not carry the drug in their pharmacies or provide it to patients. The Cleveland Clinic said doctors can still prescribe it, but it will have to be administered at an outside facility. A spokeswoman said that the decision follows a review of available scientific evidence of its safety and efficacy. The hospital's decisions come as some in health and ins- some health insurers are also restricting access to this therapy. A spokeswoman for Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina cited the same safety and efficacy concerns in its decision not to cover the drug. And that's going to be the bigger question is it's an expensive drug. If you have hospitals saying that they won't administer it, you can bet that you will have insurance companies jumping on and saying, yeah, it's the safety and efficacy. And that's why we're not going along. It's depressing because we want, you know, hope springs eternal with, with something that with an aging population, it's so urgent that we try to find something that actually works, which... And it's been almost 20 years since there's been another drug or, yeah. drug or treatment that's been approved. And I think this is one of those, from, from the name of it, it ends in MAB, I think it's a monoclonal antibody that, that attacks the, the plaque, right? The, yeah, the, and, and that's... And we don't know whether the plaque is a result of the Alzheimer's or the right. cause of the Alzheimer's. And, it's, and the, the, it was not proved definitively, the efficacy. No, but and I can imagine if you had a, a family member or a loved you'd one, want it. you'd want it. You yeah. would, but, but then again, if, you, know, you wouldn't want to be have false hopes that, that, that they rush through the, the approval process just because people, there's such an urgent need for it. It's really not that, it, it hasn't been proven really that it's that efficacious. No, but I, I like to see somebody like the Cleveland Clinic say they're not going to do it. That, to me, raises some concerns about the safety because you wouldn't think they'd do that just because of the efficacy. They, it was the Cleveland Clinic, wasn't it? It, it, it was. Yeah, yeah one it was of the one of the yeah, three. Mount Sinai. And, 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 and these are I mean, these are well-known hospitals. Exactly. Right? These and, are not. and everything's risk-reward, too. Right. And if there are, you know, that's the first... I have to say, though, I was, I no was, but I was glad first to see thing. the FDA move ahead with it. Um, Look, as right. somebody who's also looking for other cures for other people I know, right. I'm, I'm glad to see a chance taken. Right. Um, and I hope it doesn't p- push back too hard on the FDA. And then, you know, you get the FDA. We constantly criticize for, for holding you, know, you, might as well try, you might as well try it. Right. it you know, these people are, are in if, need. If you to, don't have hope again, otherwise. Then again, if one person dies from gene therapy or something like that, then yeah. they're, so they're in a tough spot. Coming up on Squawk Pod, mask mandates could be coming back. At least for L.A. residents, they're already here. Former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb says it's mainly only one young population that's setting us back. People who are vaccinated aren't putting the population by and large at risk. So telling them that they have to wear masks indoors, I think it creates a disincentive to go out and get vaccinated in the first place. That conversation right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Up track. This is Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan and Becky Quick. Here's Becky. The mask mandate is back in Los Angeles. County officials are going to be requiring masks to be worn indoors, even by vaccinated people, amid a sharp increase in COVID cases there, and the Delta variant in particular. Joining us right now is Dr. Scott Gottlieb. He's former FDA commissioner and a CNBC contributor, and he also serves on the boards of both Pfizer and Illumina. And Scott, I don't know if your ears have been burning all morning. We've been waiting to talk to you about this and and get your thoughts on this. Do you think this measure was the right move? I don't think it's the right move. I don't think you can tell people who've been vaccinated that they have to wear a mask. I think, quite frankly, it's likely to be the exception. I think you're likely to see very few states and municipalities do this because there's not going to be a lot of support for mandates at this point. People who are worried about COVID have largely been vaccinated. I realize not everyone has been able to get vaccinated, but most people have been vaccinated who are worried about this infection. And people who remain unvaccinated aren't worried about the infection and don't want to be wearing masks either. Now, the bottom line is that means this is just going to spread through the population. And that's why the models look so bad. There's some models being worked on right now. CDC has what I'm told that show um, an increasing epidemic, a wave of infection from this Delta variant moving through the population over the next two months. Those models, the assumptions built into those models is no mitigation. No mandates for masks, no closures of businesses. I think that's likely to be the norm. And also, you know, when you get vaccinated, you're less likely to spread the infection, less likely to contract the infection. So people who are vaccinated um, aren't putting the population by and large at risk. So telling them that they have to wear masks indoors, I think it creates a disincentive to go out and get vaccinated in the first place. So, Doctor, we've been talking about an article uh, that I read that I I just... I pointed out I thought it might be hyperbolic. And you can't trust everything you're, you're reading on this. Thank God the Biden administration is going to make sure we get it all straight on Facebook uh, from here on out. But uh, that's a totally different story. But this one was from CNN, and it was talking about what was happening in Miami. And it seemed to imply that 20, 30, and 40-year-olds that were not vaccinated not only were getting sick, but we're getting sicker and getting sicker more than had, be, that had been seen uh, during the pandemic itself. And that there were they didn't exactly say how many deaths there were, but 20, 30 and 40 year olds were getting sick. It was de- their, their health was declining quickly to intubation. And then they, uh, quite a few were dying. Is, are you are we actually seeing that? And, and is it more virulent or just more contagious right now? Well, look, this is striking younger people because younger people remain unvaccinated. Um, When people who are vaccinated do get infected and there are breakthrough infections, they don't get as sick. They have protection against severe disease. There's no clear evidence that this is more um, more pathogenic, that is causing more serious infections. It is clearly more virulent. It's clearly far more contagious. There was a good analysis. I tweeted about it yesterday. um, Some breakdown of this analysis, a study that came out of China, actually, showing that you get a thousand fold increase in um, 
viral titers early in the course of infection. So what's happening is when people get infected with this Delta variant, they're getting very high titers of virus in their secretions very early in the course of the infection. So if they have declining ant- uh, neutralizing antibodies, those could become overwhelmed. And that's why you do see some people getting sick despite the fact that they might have been previously infected or vaccinated. But then their residual immunity, their B cells and their T cells do kick in. But when you have a, a, a virulent, a strain that is more contagious, it could seem more pathogenic because it's going to start to infect people who might not have been infected, who might have escaped infection, who might be more vulnerable and were taking precautions to prevent infection. But, doctor, uh, if you don't have a pre-existing condition, what are the percentages of 20, 30, and 40-year-olds uh, that, that have died from, from COVID-19? It's minuscule. Why, am I, why, why in this article was I given the impression that, there, you know, that, that many people are succumbing, young people are succumbing to, uh, to this disease in the, in the worst possible way? Look, we don't know what the denominator is right now. Um, we're measuring infections, symptomatic infections. I think we're vastly underestimating the level of Delta spread right now because I think people who are vaccinated, who might you know, develop some mild symptoms and might develop a breakthrough case, by and large, aren't going out and getting tested. If you've been vaccinated and you develop a mild cold right now, you don't think you have COVID. Um, and people, younger people who are the ones who are getting infected are also going to be less inclined to go out and get tested for COVID. We're not doing a lot of routine screening unless you play for the New York Yankees. So we're not I think we're not picking up a lot of infection. I think our ascertainment probably is very low right now, not because we're not doing testing, um, but because people who are likely to get infected are unlikely to go out and get tested because they don't think they're infected. They're either young and healthy people or they're people who've been vaccinated. So we don't know the denominator. I suspect that there's a lot of young people right now getting infected. And what you're seeing is the tip of the iceberg getting hospitalized and getting very sick. Scott, is that an argument for changing our behaviors if you have somebody who's vulnerable? Is that an argument for making sure you get your kids tested before you take them around your parents or something along those lines? Look, I think that's what we should be doing right now. Rather than implementing mandates on the entire populations, I think we need to look at how we protect the vulnerable. And if you're one of those vulnerable people, take precautions. You know, even if you've been vaccinated, if you're older, you were vaccinated last December, um, you might have some declining effectiveness from the vaccine, you're immunocompromised. Wearing a mask right now for a period of a month, six weeks is not imprudent. I think if you're, especially if you're in a, a portion of the country where prevalence is high, you don't need to do it in Connecticut where prevalence is very low, vaccination rates are very high. But if you're in Mississippi or Arkansas, Nevada, places where there's a lot of infection, I think you need to think about how to protect yourself. Los Angeles County as well. You know, it's not as dense in Los Angeles County as other parts of the country right now. They do have, you know, a surge of infection, but it's not nearly on the same scale as what we're seeing in some other parts of the rural South. Scott, let me ask you one more question. You you keep coming back to this idea that we don't entirely know how how long the immunity is going to last or how long protection will last. Let's not say immunity because there are other levels uh, just besides reading the antibodies in your blood. Um, it occurs to me that the people that we vaccinated first are all the healthcare workers, and they're on the front lines once again. Are they the canary in the coal mine in this situation? If we're not doing a third booster shot, if we're not going to know otherwise, we're not following up with what Israel is doing, is the clue going to be when healthcare workers start getting really sick because they were the first one vaccinated? Well, first of all, I think we're going to end up boosting a portion of the population. Um, I think the canary in a coal mine, unfortunately, is going to be the nursing homes. In December, we vaccinated the healthcare workers and the 1.34 million residents of nursing homes in this country. I think the vulnerable elderly in nursing homes, when you see these dense outbreaks in parts of the South, the infection is eventually going to get into those settings. And just like you see the virus shoot around um, a baseball team in a close quarters, it's going to shoot around a facility like that. And there's going to be some 
elderly who were vaccinated who are still going to be vulnerable, either because they're still vulnerable or declining effectiveness of the vaccine. I think the healthcare workers are an interesting question because the question is, if you're a 55 year old healthcare worker going back into the hospital in the fall, the winter, uh, amidst surging infection from the Delta variant or the tail end of this this wave of infection, do you feel comfortable? And, you know, what could end up ultimately pushing the CDC to make a recommendation here may be the healthcare workers wanting to get boosters. I know some doctors have already done it, and I think the government really needs to speak to this, because what you don't want is lose your relevancy as a public health institution. You don't want people taking matters into their own hands. You want to be able to give guidance that people could follow. So if the CDC is very late to issue guidance, I think you're going to see some healthcare workers start to contemplate a booster for themselves. And it could be after the third dose, you get a very durable immunity. We don't know. Scott, just to cut to the chase, is there going to be a, a big fall spike, a, a COVID 2.0, or are we approaching herd immunity where we've got this under control? What do you really think? Well, barring a new variant that pierces the vaccines or pierces the immunity offered by prior infection, I think after we get through this wave, um, we're going to have enough of the population with a wall of immunity that the level of spread is going to drop dramatically. It's not going to be quite herd immunity. I don't think we ever get herd immunity. This becomes endemic, but it doesn't transfer with the same velocity. I think this is the last surge of infection we're likely to have to deal with. We thought B117 was that surge. We didn't anticipate Delta. Delta is so much more contagious that it's going to require more of the population to have immunity to finally put this to rest. People are still saying that, that the hesitancy that some have is because it's not fully approved. You described... Uh, that the application isn't complete yet, and it's a rolling application where, the, where they're still collecting data from certain subgroups uh, before you get the full approval. When do you expect full approval? And, and I don't really know whether that's why people aren't getting it. Do you think it, more people would get it if there was full approval? There, there's a conspiracy theories that say, look, they haven't approved this because, you know, they know something, and I don't think that's what it is. But, you know, that's the stigma. The full application's in now, so at least with it Pfizer, I, I can't speak to Moderna, but it is in right now. I, I think Pfizer submitted the application originally May 21st. I always predicted, I've said many times, I think it's going to take the FDA three months to approve the applications from the time of first submission. I think that's a reasonable timeline. It might slip a couple of weeks. It might slip into early September. But I think the timeline of three months from the uh, receipt of the initial application is what FDA is working on in my view, given my experience at the agency. So I think this is coming up. In terms of what it's going to drive, I think on the margin, it probably will drive more confidence about getting vaccinated. There probably are people for whom they're deterred from getting vaccinated because it's not fully approved. But I think more likely what's going to happen is it's going to give um, healthcare institutions and other employers more impetus to mandate vaccination. Once it's no longer perceived as under an emergency use authorization, I think a lot of businesses, a lot of healthcare settings are going to mandate vaccination going into the fall. Uh, and Scott, finally, the, the Yankees last night canceling that game with the Red Sox at the last minute. A lot of people were already there or on the road uh, waiting for that to happen. Why does it keep happening with the Yankees? Is it just the testing? Well, why does it keep happening? With, yeah, yeah, baseball. I think it's going to continue to happen with baseball because of what what the environment is. You're in very close quarters. You get a single introduction of infection into that setting, particularly a more contagious variant like um, like the Delta variant. And it's going to spread. Someone introduced it into that setting and it spread through the clubhouse. What I don't understand is why these baseball teams don't require everyone to be vaccinated. You know, the individual who introduced that infection into the clubhouse forced the closure of that game put other players on the disabled list, cost that team a tremendous amount. And so why, why these baseball teams allow players to go into that setting unvaccinated and put other players at risk is hard for me to understand. But the other players that are at risk are unvaccinated, so I don't know. Maybe they deserve each other. I don't understand either, uh, Scott, but uh, if you're vaccinated, you can't catch it. And so what do you mean? Who, 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 who are the unvaccinated people giving it to? 
other unvaccinated people? There were some supposedly vaccinated people. Yeah, I don't believe. Do you believe them? I, I don't know. I, I have some doubts. Do you believe that the people that got it, they get vaccinated or did they? That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Or maybe they got one or something. I don't know. I, I don't know. What do you think? How's it happening? You don't want to conjecture. <laughs> you're asking come me. Come on. Come on. Tell us, Scott. What do you think? Look, the reporting is some of those people were vaccinated, some were unvaccinated. We don't know who introduced into the setting. We're, we're probably never going to know because I don't think the Yankees will disclose that. But my hunch is that an unvaccinated individual introduced into that setting. And in that kind of a setting, when you're in close quarters, right. some people, even who are vaccinated, are going to catch it. So that's why you want to keep it out of the setting with entirely. us on this. I know it. You don't want to admit it. <laughs> right. All right. Thank you, Scott. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, another billionaire buckling up. First Richard Branson, now Jeff Bezos headed for space. The Franklin Institute's chief astronomer, Derek Pitts. The Branson flight was piloted. This flight of New Shepard will be completely automated. There's no piloting going on here. The space race, right after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick. Andrew's off today. It's a Friday. It's mid-July. Um, there's people uh, interested. Becky, there are things are going on. Um, there's a few, sure. I think. Is the doldrum. I'm feeling doldrumish. You feeling doldrum? I'm feeling TGIF. TGIF is, yeah. uh, is not too far away for some of us. Oliver Damon, an 18-year-old aspiring pilot, will now get to join Jeff uh, Bezos on Blue Origin's first crewed space flight next week. Uh, Damon uh, takes the fourth seat on uh, the New Shepard rocket that was supposed uh, to go to a mysterious person who bought a $28 million ticket at auction, but that person had to delay their flight. <laughs> really? Due to scheduling conflicts? What, you got to wash your hair? Um, at, at 18, Damon would be the youngest person ever uh, to travel to space, scheduling conflicts. <laughs> Not that you blame the person for having yeah. a last-minute case came, of came cold to their senses. Yeah. Right. Like, that looks scary. Right. You go first. Yeah. So that's from uh, which one? The first one. That's from Solace, as it to Indy, when they look into snakes? the pit down below. Snakes. Very dangerous. Anyway. Do you, uh, number one, there's IMAX. Mm-hmm. You can always go there. Yeah. That's pretty damn close. You might not be weightless, but that's, that's not bad. I can live with that. Yeah. Joining us right now with a look at what to expect from this space flight is Derek Pitts, chief astronomer at the Franklin Institute. And Derek, this is a historic moment, um, but we're trying to put it in comparison with what we just saw from Richard Branson. What are the differences between these two flights? Uh, good morning, everybody. Thanks for having me. Well, the first thing uh, that's different about these two flights is that the Branson flight was piloted. There were two pilots on board and uh, two mission specialists along with Richard Branson. This flight of New Shepard will be completely automated. There's no piloting going on here. 
the Branson flight was essentially like a space plane, uh, took off from a runway, lands on a runway again. The Bezos flight with the New Shepard is really a rocket that has a capsule atop. And when it returns to Earth, the rocket portion will land separately, autonomously, while the capsule lands someplace else, all on its own. And the other thing is, I really like this about the New Shepard. It has really big, beautiful picture windows. So you will be excellent. What about uh, the Kármán line? That was not something that, that Branson's uh, space rocket did. This one does cross the Kármán line. Is that a big deal or not? Yeah, this has been a lot of discussion that we've heard over the last week or so about whether or not the uh, folks that went aboard the Branson flight actually reached space because they didn't pass the quote-unquote von Kármán line, which is set at about 62 miles up. And, you know, really much earlier when this was first defined, it was not that high, but it has since been moved up to 62 uh, miles because of, you know, features about the atmosphere, physical features about the atmosphere and how much atmosphere is there and so on and so forth. And this flight of the New Shepard will reach the von Karman line and higher. 16 previous flights of New Shepard, a number of them reached that height without any difficulty. The way I see this is whether it's 52, 57, or 62 miles, if there's a mishap in, in any of this, you're dead no matter what the altitude was. So I sort of think of that as leveling the playing field. And in this sense, you know, if you have the nerve to do it, Okay, go for it. Um, Wally Funk, who is 82, qualified for space flight right along with the Mercury 7. A lot of people don't know, though, at that point, um, she never got to fly because women weren't qualified to go into space. They didn't let them do it, even though she uh, was right there along for the ride. So this is pretty historic from that perspective, too. I think it's really wonderful that she gets this opportunity to realize her dream of flying in space that she had so long ago. Uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful way to get the story out about this particular flight. And, you know, it's a great celebration of the strides that women have made in space flight. Sally Ride, as we know, in the 1980s was the first woman to fly aboard the space shuttle program in uh, NASA space shuttle program. But Peggy Whitson, who is a retired NASA astronaut, really holds a tremendous number of records, having been the first commander of a space station mission. She has had 10 EVAs, and her body seems to be more easily adapted to space than any other astronaut ever. I think she holds a record, really, for having spent the longest amount of time in space cumulatively. So it's great to see Wally on this. It is. Derek, thank you for your time this morning. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That's the show for today. Happy Friday. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, listen and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tweet at Squawk CNBC. We'll meet you back here on Monday. In the meantime, have a safe, fun weekend. We are clear. Thanks, guys. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. 
The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.